Cool, so it's good to see you guys. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to not see you, but I'm glad you guys on the screen uh, can see me. Uh, welcome to our celebration gathering. Uh, we've been talking about the book of James and some of the teachings that James uh, has been about. And if you have ever taken a look at James and what he writes about, you, you might realize that um, James talks a lot about action. He talks a lot about doing. Uh, and he says, you show me uh, your faith by what you do, right? Um, and so that's kind of what we're talking about today. We're talking about a specific passage in uh, chapter 2 of James, and I will just get to it. Uh, in James 2, uh, James says this. He says, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And this passage really impacted me as I was considering it this week because I'm thinking this, this, is, this is about justice. Like there's no way to talk about it any other way but to say this is about Justice, and that's kind of a word that's been tossed around. I'm going to use a lot of words this morning that seem like they're sort of like, um, you know, uh, um, kind of current hip words to use and talk about in our, in our discourse nationally, but, but they're relevant and they make sense. And the reason I say this is about justice is because James actually literally says, have you not become judges? He's using the word judges, and it's the same word that Jesus uses when he talks about the judges who make decisions about poor people and rich people, when he talks about someone who comes before the judge, and you know, uh, it's, it just, it means to, to judge, to make a decision. And he's clearly talking about how we treat some people and how we treat other people, and comparing the fact that uh, you, you don't want to, to treat rich people one way and poor people another way, because it's unjust, Right? We don't want to become judges with evil thoughts. So I began to think about this idea of what does justice look like in the Bible? What does justice look like throughout Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, to Jesus and to the writings of, of Paul and to James? And so I have five things that I want to share with you today that I think are true about biblical justice. The concept of justice as it is portrayed in Scripture. There are five things that I want you uh, to know. And um, we're going to go through them pretty quickly because I think they're, they're fairly simple and straightforward. Uh, the first thing that I want to mention is I think biblical justice is systemic. So this is one of those words that's kind of a modern word. You're not going to find anything in scripture about systemic justice or systemic anything. Um, and some of you, when I just said that word systemic, you're like, yes, it's about time we started talking about this in church. And some of you are like, oh dear, here we go again, <laughs> right? Uh, the point is that systemic simply means that it is not an individual thing. It is larger than individual. So oftentimes when we, we hear teachings in the Bible, we read teachings in the Bible, we think about what it means to us individually. And the same thing with this James passage. We see in that passage, well, if I am welcoming people at church or if in any part of my life, I shouldn't treat rich people one way and, and poor people another way. That is true. But systemic is, is bigger than the individual. There's individual justice and then there's systemic justice. So here's what I mean. Let me just get right to it. In the Old Testament, we have a lot of things that are true that are systemic issues of justice. And I put in quotes here policy because that's sort of our modern word. But when we think about the Torah, when we think about the law that governed the people of Israel, 
we almost always put it in the category of religion, but this was a nation of people, and these were the laws that governed their society. God told them, this is how you need to interact with one another. This is what you need to do to set up a society that reflects me and that functions. And here's some of the examples. So did you know that every 50 years, everyone was supposed to return all property, and you were, you were to go back to the property of your homeland? So, so for, for a society, for a civilization that lived, you know, four, five, six thousand years ago, God said, this is how you work it out. If you own property, every 50 years, you got to give it back to the people who owned it before. And you all return to your property, right? That's crazy. That's in Leviticus. In Deuteronomy, we talk about canceling all debts every seven years. Just forgive everyone their debts. If someone owes you money, every seven years, all debts are forgiven. Now, we have bankruptcy laws in this country that say you can choose to go through a lengthy legal process to get your debts washed away. But we all look at that as really negative and really bad and nobody should declare bankruptcy. But, but according to God's laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it was a regular thing. Every seven years, forgive everyone their debts. That's the way to live with equality, right? So I consider those things to be systemic. They're addressing a systemic kind of issue, right? Uh, release the slaves that you may have. Release them every seven years and do not send them away empty-handed. Obviously, we think slavery is bad, and it's one of the things in the Old Testament that we have to reconcile. But without getting into that uh, today, God simply said, every seven years, if you have slaves, you have to let them go. And not only do you have to let them go, you have to give them animals and food and property so that they can go and make something for themselves. That was God's law. That was God's way of saying we need to address some of these issues of inequality, right? Um, and the last one I want to mention today is the idea of harvesting and leaving what remains for the for foreigner and for the poor. The fatherless and the widow. So if you had land and you were, uh, um, let's say you were harvesting your grapes. The Bible says go through it once and harvest all your grapes. But if, if you missed anything, don't go back a second time and harvest those. Leave them for the people who are poor. So it's like a built-in systemic solution for people who are struggling. Who don't have fathers or who, uh, you know, being fatherless and being a widow is a big deal. In biblical times because nothing existed without the man and when the man was out of the picture women and children left had no property they had no identity they had nothing so this is God's way of saying take care of the people who can't take care of themselves right so I consider these things to be examples of, of something that's systemic so when I say systemic I mean God is not necessarily with these laws saying that you need to be nice to a specific individual person we do have to do that but he's saying I want you as a society as a people as God's people, Israel, I want you to set up laws and practices that, that make things fair and just for everyone in your society. And I would even say that the death of Jesus and the, and the resurrection of Jesus and the salvation that we have is a systemic solution. We make it individual so much, we say, well, Jesus died for you personally. And I remember when I was a teenager, I was told all the time, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would die for you. And that's true. And there is an individual component to it. But Jesus' sacrifice was a systemic solution to a systemic problem that was the sin that had entered the world. The, the system that was before it, the, the temple, the sacrificial system, uh, the covenant, the old covenant, none of that had worked. So Jesus set up a new covenant, which was a systemic solution. So when I say that justice in the Bible is systemic, I mean that not only is it individual, not only does it say uh, find those in need and give to them, uh, help those who may be poor individually, the Bible also says we need to be mindful of the systems that are in place that either do or do not help people who are in need. 
So, that's the first one. Four more. Biblical justice favors the poor is the second one. Uh, I don't think it's uh, difficult to understand that throughout Scripture we see constant teaching about the poor and how we are to treat the poor and how we are to work with the poor. Um, so just kind of give you an example. In, in Proverbs it says, The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. So pretty, pretty clear, pretty straightforward. The Bible says this many times. We need to be mindful of justice uh, for the poor. But I want to get to this really troubling passage in James. Since we're in James anyway, um, James has some harsh words for rich. So listen to this. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Yuck. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. That's a reference to Jesus. James goes so far as to say, rich people, you even killed Jesus. Because it was the rich ruler's and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who, who were responsible for that. Now, those are pretty harsh words from James about people who are rich. And it doesn't seem like it would be a very good idea to be rich if James is hurling those words at you. But here's the bad news, folks. I wanted this to be hopeful, but there is some bad news. And the bad news is that we are actually the rich. You and me, we're the rich ones. And I know it doesn't feel like it because all things are relative. But on a global scale, I want to throw some numbers out at you. In the United States of America, the poverty level is $26,000 a year for a family of four. If you're a family of four and you make less than $26,000 a year, that is the poverty line and that you are considered officially poor. But if you make $26,000 a year, as far as the entire world is concerned, you're in the top 30%. In a room full of 100 people taken from around the globe, 70 of them would still be poorer than you if you make $26,000 a year for a family of four. If you make $40,000 a year for a family of four, $40,000 a year puts you in the top 20%. There'd be 80 in the world who are, 80 out of 100 who are poorer than you, right? If you make $80,000 a year as a family of four, $80,000 a year, which incidentally is the average income in the United States of America, the average income in the USA is $80,000 for a family of four, you are in the top 10% of wealth in the world. Now, again, I know all things are relative, and that doesn't mean that your rent is cheap, and that doesn't mean that the cost of living in the U.S., it, you know, that all factors in, I know that. But I want you to take a step back and think of this from God's perspective. If God is looking at the global population, he's looking at the world and saying, I love the entire world, right? Like all the world is in his hands, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in his sight. Oh, you can't say that anymore. Red and yellow, what is it? No, not, it's every, every color, every race, all are covered by his grace. We changed that so we didn't say colors. Uh, but but God, God cares about everyone in the world. And here we are in the USA in the top 10% of that, that wealth. So if I read this again, and I won't read it out loud to you again because we might cry. Uh, if we read this again, thinking about our place in the world in terms of wealth, it puts a new perspective on it. So biblical justice favors the poor. And God really has a lot to say about inequality between the rich and the poor. Whether that's a rich nation like the United States of America and a poor nation, or whether it's a rich person 
versus a poor person. I think that's really important for us to understand. So biblical justice is systemic. Biblical justice favors the poor. Biblical justice also fights oppression. What is oppression? Oppression is a, a power imbalance. Oppression is when one person or one group of people has power and another group of people doesn't have that same power and, um, and it causes imbalances. It, it causes difficulties. Fighting oppression is really about fighting for someone else's cause. There are people who cannot speak out for themselves or fight for themselves and we uh, have been asked to, to fight or oppose oppression. In the Psalms, it says, uh, defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And I read that differently than give generously to the poor. That is something the Bible says to do, but it, it says here to uphold the cause of the poor. How do we uphold the cause of someone? It means we have to, to, to be mindful of, of justice. We have to be mindful of the oppression as it's happening, and we have to speak out against it, and we have to work to oppose it. So to me, there's something bigger here than just individual generosity. When the Bible says, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. In Jeremiah, uh, the prophets are full of this kind of language. The prophets talk about oppression all the time because when most of the prophets were living, the people of Israel had really succumbed to uh, a lot of oppression. There was a lot of income inequality. There was a lot of power that was, that was moving against other powers. And here's Jeremiah speaking to the king of Judah and he says to him, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. So, so Jeremiah is trying to tell the king, use your power to make sure that people are not oppressed. It kind of makes me think of the story of Esther. If you don't know the story of Esther, it's a really cool story. Esther was a Jewish girl who ended up becoming uh, a queen of, in Persia. And she was the queen and, and there was a plot to kill all the Jews. And she used her position, her power and her influence with the king to, to save the Jewish people, right? So here we have biblical examples of, of being asked to, to leverage political power, to leverage uh, those who have power on behalf of those who don't have power. That, to me, is what I mean by oppression. And even, even Jesus himself says, when, when he sort of, uh, he walks into uh, the, the synagogue early in his ministry, and he unrolls the scroll, and he, and he just drops the mic with reading the statement of like, boom, this is who I am and what I'm here for. He's quoting uh, Isaiah, but he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. You can't set the oppressed free without addressing the oppression and how it works. And Jesus is saying, I am here among all things to preach, to heal, I am here to set the oppressed free. I'm here to deal with oppression. So I, I believe biblical justice, justice as it is talked about in the Bible, does put itself against oppression, right? Okay, so biblical justice is systemic. It's poor. It, fight, it favors the poor. It fights oppression. The fourth one, biblical justice is equitable. Um, we use these words a lot nowadays. I just want a quick definition. Equal is when everybody gets the same thing. Equitable is when everybody gets what they need. And that might be different things at different times, okay? I believe that justice, as it is described and taught in the Bible, is more about equity <clears throat> than about equality. And here's why I think that. There's this verse in uh, uh, a passage in 2 Corinthians. It's not the only one that talks about it this way. But this is interesting because, because Paul is specifically talking about financial support. He's talking to the church in Corinth and he's comparing them to a church in Macedonia. 
And he's saying, that, you know, this church in Macedonia, they're so poor, they don't have very much, but they gave so generously to us, to me, to our mission and to what we're doing. And so he's talking to the church in Corinth and saying, we want you to be generous too. And he tries to explain it in a way that makes sense. And he says, our desire in that you're giving money to us, you're supporting us as missionaries, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed. In other words, we don't want you to give sacrificially so others can have a great life, right? That, that doesn't seem equal. And he says, but, but instead, our desire is that there might be equality. And he says equality, but I'm, I'm considering this to be equity because here's why. Because then he says this, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. And because of the context of what Paul's talking about, he's not basically saying, if you give money to us, eventually later, we'll give money to you. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, you give money to to the missionary teams that are going and doing the work of God, and then those people will give out of their plenty to you. So you give financially, but they will give spiritually, and they will give sacrificially in many other ways. And it makes me think about equity in a way that, that in my mind sort of makes sense, that we, we often, some of us sort of, like, we, we, we cringe at the idea of giving money to people and just sort of giving it, like, freely. And, and you know, if you see somebody who uh, is poor and homeless on the street and they're, and they're asking for money, like, oh, I don't want to give them money because what are they going to go do with their money? I don't know. The idea of giving generously is that we give financially to help people so that eventually they might be able to give out of their wealth. And maybe it's not financial wealth, but maybe it's a different kind of wealth. It makes me think about how many people are in this country who who are poor, who are struggling financially, who have beautiful, amazing things to contribute to our society. Maybe they're creative. Maybe they're smart and intelligent. Maybe they're a really amazing entrepreneur. Maybe they have all of these gifts that they could give to society, but they're, they're hindered from doing so because they're so consumed with the fact that they can't feed their family or they can't put a roof over their head. So by supporting people in ancient Israel, when God said, look, you need to release the slaves. You need to make sure that you, you don't uh, keep your fields clean, that you leave something for, for the poor people. He was basically saying, give to those who need something now because they contribute to your society. They mean something to you as a people. So I, I believe, to me at least, this, this helps me understand that biblical justice is equitable. Uh, it's kind of like you've all heard the saying that if you give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. But if you teach a man to fish, he can't feed himself at all because he doesn't have a fishing pole. Right? You've heard that saying, right? No, that's not the saying. Of course that's not the saying. You, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. You teach a man to fish, supposedly he can feed himself for a lifetime, but not unless he has a fishing pole. And we forget that part of the equation. We teach people how to fish maybe, but we don't give them the fishing pole. Or maybe we give them the fishing pole, but we don't teach them how to fish. Sometimes we have to give people things so that they may contribute back to life and to the world. So I think that's biblical justice. I think here uh, God is saying, look, uh, you know, the goal is equality, or I would say equity, as it is written, Paul is saying, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. That's a direct reference to uh, the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness and the manna came from heaven, and God said, actually through Moses, uh, Moses said, look, gather what you need, But don't gather more than you need because if you try to store it for the next day, it's going to get rotten and it's going to get maggots, which it did. But the amazing thing that happened was God intervened in this way. And when people went out, whatever they gathered, it was what they needed. So the one who gathered a whole lot 
He didn't have too much, but the one who gathered a little, he didn't have too little. So, so this idea of equity is really, really uh, important in Scripture. And then, of course, we see it in the early church. You probably remember the stories when the church was all together after Jesus uh, had gone away. Uh, one of the things that happened is they shared their possessions. But what I find fascinating about this passage in Acts is that, uh, you know, it says no one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. But then it also said, says that, that from time to time, those who owned things would sell those things to give to those who had need. So we have people who have more, and we have people who have less, right? And the people who have more weren't concerned about retaining and keeping the things that they had. They were saying, you know what, if it can help somebody who has less, I will sell that and I will give to the people who have less so we can all have what we need, right? So that's the idea. So I think equity uh, is something that we see uh, in, in Scripture. Even, even with grace, right? Even the grace of God is, is not equal, it's equitable. Uh, because here in Romans, Paul clearly says, if you sin a whole lot, then you get a whole lot of grace. If you don't sin very much, then you just get a little bit of grace. You only get as much grace as you need to cover the sins that you have committed. Paul goes on to say in Romans, does that mean we should just sin more so we get more grace? He says, no, that's dumb. Don't do that. But, but that's the idea, right? Grace itself is not equally distributed. It is distributed equitably to those who need it, right? So I think biblical justice is systemic. I think biblical justice favors the poor. I think biblical justice fights oppression. And I think biblical justice is equitable. And the last thing that I think about biblical justice is that it is merciful. It is merciful. Going back to James to finish up here. In the passage we read earlier, James says, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And then a few verses later, he returns to this idea of judging. And he says, guess what about judgment? Here's what I want to say about judgment. Judgment without mercy will come to, those who is not, to anyone who has not been merciful. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you're thinking about this idea of the rich person and the poor person kind of walking into the room and you, and you show unfavorable treatment to one and not the other, um, that, that's judgment. And he says mercy is the rule. Mercy is what triumphs over judgment. And mercy is really, really important throughout Scripture. And mercy just means love and kindness. It just translates to love and kindness. And Jesus says it. Jesus quotes Hosea because Hosea said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Hosea is speaking on behalf of God. He was a prophet. And, and so Matthew uh, describes a story in which Jesus, he had just healed a guy. And, and the reason he healed the guy was because he actually went to the guy and he said, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees freaked out. And they're like, oh, you're blaspheming. You can't say your sins are forgiven. And Jesus was like, which, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And he says, just so you know that I'm not messing around and I'm really who I say I am, get up and walk. And so he heals the guy to show the power that he has, and that freaked out the Pharisees even more. And then Matthew describes the next thing that happens. Uh, Jesus goes on and he picks, he picks a tax collector for one of, his, one of his disciples, and tax collectors were the lowest of the low. So, so basically the teachers of the law were freaking out that Jesus isn't really following the law, and Jesus says to them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Jesus is saying, look, what God really wants, what's important to God is showing love and kindness to people more than obeying the letter of the law. If that's what you're consumed with, then you're missing the point. Mercy, not sacrifice. Paul goes on to talk about just the idea that, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but we, we don't look to our own interests. We only look to the interests of others. It's a real selfless kind of 
way of thinking. And, and I know that there can be a point at which that can be unhealthy, where we can think so much about others that we're not, not concerned about self-care. That's not what he's talking about. He's basically saying, you know, you need to really be concerned about others more than yourself when it comes to uh, uh, taking care of people in, in our society, in our family, in our church, in our country, right? But here, here's what's amazing to me. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. The, that verse, I can't, I can't imagine anything less American in Scripture than that verse right there. We get so consumed with individual liberties as, as citizens of the United States that we forget that really this trumps that, right? This, this takes precedence over that. Be concerned about others. Yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, you have the right to do anything you want. But Paul says that's not always beneficial. So be concerned about others and what others need. No one should seek their own good but the good of others. And that's a lot to unpack. But um, biblical justice, I think, uh, again, this is my reading of Scripture. I think biblical justice is systemic. I think biblical justice favors the poor. I think biblical justice fights oppression. I think biblical justice is equitable, and I think biblical justice is merciful. Uh, I want to finish with just one final return back to this story in James, where James says, you know, imagine someone comes into your, your worship gathering wearing fine clothes, and you say, oh, sit here, have a great seat. Come to the front row, sit in the seat of honor. And then someone comes in and they look poor, and you say to them, oh, why don't you, why don't you go sit in the back, go stand in the back. That that's being unjust. And when we hear biblical stories, we often put ourselves in the story. And I think most of the time when I had ever heard the story before, you probably are in the same situation. I always imagine that, that James is speaking to me as the usher, right? As the one who is welcoming people. I shouldn't discriminate between people and, and treat someone differently who is poor than someone who is rich, right? And that's a really important message and I think that is a great interpretation of this. But there's another character that it might be interesting to put yourself in, in th that position. And that is the person who comes in dressed in fine clothes. What if we're not the person at the door? What if we're the person who got ushered to the front row? Because that's the, that's the oppressor. I mean, when we're talking about oppression and the inequality between the rich and the poor or the inequality between the powerful and the not powerful, the one who gets ushered to the front row and sits in the seat of honor, that's the oppressor. But the problem is that that person, if that's me, if I'm sitting in the front row just because I was dressed a certain way that day, I didn't choose that. They sat me there, right? I don't know that they're... they're being mean to a poor person back there but that's the point right if we're the one who is benefiting from the system of oppression if we're the one who's benefiting from being treated well while others are being treated unkindly it's our responsibility to make sure that the people who are treated unkindly are not treated that way anymore so if i'm the one who got ushered to the front row what can i do different what how could i change that right i think about just simple things in our lives that that we may not even think about the clothes that i'm wearing like, you, you, may know, uh, you, you may know the brand of the clothes that you're wearing. You might know the store you got it at. Uh, uh, you might even remember the price you paid for it if, if you got it on sale or something like that. But I doubt you remember where it was made. Did you look at the tag? Did you look at the label to see where it was made? Are you thinking about the people in that country when you put that shirt on? I'm not. I have no idea if the people who made my shirt are, are making a fair wage. I have no idea if they're treated equitably. So in that way, I'm participating. If, if someone's being oppressed to make this shirt, I'm participating in that oppression because I bought this shirt unaware of what was going on. 
I know that seems like a downer, but it's, it's, it's part of our life. Every time you drink coffee, unless you're buying your beans from Cafe Justo, it's probably true that your coffee is, is maybe being, being farmed inequitably in some way that's hurting somebody somewhere along in that chain from the growing to the, to the harvesting to the roasting to the selling. I don't know. You didn't create those systems. I didn't create those systems. I don't drink coffee, so it's totally not my fault about any of the coffee stuff. But <laughs> we didn't create those systems, but if we benefit from them, I think we have a responsibility to say, you know what? We've got to look at these systems of oppression. I may be sitting on the front row unaware that there are people in the back who are being told that they have to stand up against the wall because they're not dressed well enough. I don't, I got to turn around and look to make sure that that's happening. Okay, so here's what I think. I'll finish up. Uh, James is really about showing our faith in Jesus through our actions. He's, he's, he talks through the whole book about putting your faith into practice, right? Doing something. So I think what we need to do with our actions, I think we need to bring justice. And I think the idea of biblical justice is about dismantling systemic oppression, working for equity, and showing mercy to the poor. In whatever way you think that looks for you, that, that could look any number of ways. So I'm not prescribing anything for you specifically, but I think we need to be mindful that when God talks about justice, when the Bible talks about being just and fair, that he's talking about all these things that, that keep people out of balance, power-wise, inequitable, like oppressed, and we need to be working to fix those things. I think that's part of our calling as followers of Jesus. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your systemic salvation, the systemic and, and equitable grace that you pour out on us for each one of us as we have need. We are mindful of our brothers and sisters across the globe who live in countries that are far less wealthy than ours, specifically the ones that we can even imagine their faces in India, whose names we know, who, who we, we work really hard to try to help and put food on their table, but but there are systems in place that keep people poor and keep people rich. Jesus, help us to see what we can do to make a difference in our world so that everyone has what they need, that no one is left wanting. And those who have gathered much will not have too much and those who have gathered little will not have too little. Jesus, help us to do that. Help us to see justice in our world. We thank you for what you have given to us and we pray these things in your name. Amen.